Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on this fine day as we talk about uh, your conscience here on uh, the program that brings you New Paradigms for a New World and choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Another slogan we love to uh, promote is uh, looking for those new ways of living. Just look around you. The old ways aren't working. And if you think they are, okay, that's your choice, but not mine. I know that there's a better way to do just about everything. However, it's going to take us shifting our consciousness, if you will. Einstein said it best. We cannot solve today's problems or challenges with the same consciousness that created it. And so with that, today we are going to have a wonderful, I'm very excited to have this conversation with our guest, uh, Leonard Perlmutter. He is the author of, I think, an extraordinary book you are going to want to get your hands on, Your Conscience the key to unlock limitless wisdom and creativity and solve. Are you ready for this one, folks? And I'm going to challenge him on this one. Solve all of life's challenges. I'm having a hard time with that, but maybe not. Maybe by the time this interview is over, I'm going to go, it's possible. Now, uh, it's an elegant, simple, and life-changing guide to putting your conscience in the driver's seat. Leonard, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. I'm very excited about uh, talking with you today. Well, I'm thrilled, too, and it's a real honor. Thank you. You know, one of the things that is so fascinating to me as I was watching the little uh, video trailer, if you will, about the book, Your Conscience, which, by the way, you can find at... um, yourconscience.org. We hope that you will uh, go there and uh, search it out. We will be linked, of course, uh, Leonard, to your website as well, so people can find out more about the work that you are doing in this area. But you um, you tend to focus, uh, to some degree, on the issue of education. And I am... <sighs> I don't want to say I'm a foremost proponent, but I am a big proponent of education. Not necessarily formal, because we get educated in so many different ways. The problem I see, or shall we say the challenge? The challenge is that we don't see it when it's coming, because we haven't been taught to look for it. And um, I remember going through school. Matter of fact, as I was watching the video, all of a sudden, The periodic table jumped up and I'm going, I remember memorizing that in order to go to Disneyland with the National Junior Honor Society back in eighth grade to the consternation of most every other student in the class because I was not, uh, I was not appreciated for who I was back then. (laughs) But that's another story. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the premise of this book, of the work that you are doing. But uh, one of the other areas we will talk about, because this to me is extremely important, and it ties into one of our uh, principles or, or pillars, if you will, on this program, about getting people to uh, participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, where we encourage them to go within to listen to the still small voice, to find that calm, peaceful, quiet space and place where they can contemplate, where they can just relax and rejuvenate and re-energize, etc., etc. So 
Talk to us uh, from your perspective about how all of this began uh, that has now, um, I, I, for some reason, the word fomate. I don't know that that's a word or even if it's the correct word here into the book, your conscience. Well, uh, the, the book really uh, had its genesis uh, in March of 2020 when, uh, because of the, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, I was in quarantine. And that meant that all of uh, my classes and, and my interactions uh, with people uh, had halted. And I am at home. And I'm asking myself, with, with all these changes, which are dramatic, <clears throat> what can I do to be of service? I look around, I watch the news, I see people are really in a tremendous amount of pain. Mm -hmm. And yet, what is my role? Why am I having this relationship with this pandemic? with these people whom I don't know, but I can see that they're in pain. So how am I to serve? And so the answer that, that came to me was, you have to give them a gift. And, and what is the most practical gift that you can give them that can enable them to get beyond the pain, beyond the misery, beyond the bondage. And so the answer was clear. And the answer was your conscience. I have to explain what the conscience is. I have to explain how to use it. I have to explain the mind and the different voices, the different functions that we have in the mind that need to be coordinated. And if that can be accomplished, if they can begin to experiment with what I intend to serve them with, then they too will be able to take a look at a catastrophe and see that it's really something more akin to a catastrophe. Now, catastrophe uses the prefix EU, which means good. So a catastrophe, unlike a catastrophe, means a good kind of catastrophe. And the good that comes from that catastrophe can only be realized by examining the catastrophe mm -hmm. and going inside the gift. It might be ugly insofar as the ego is concerned, but somewhere inside there is a blessing. And so the conscience can help us find that. Well, I got so many questions racing through my head. The first has to do with what I thought of in March of 2020. I It didn't bother me that they had declared a pandemic. What excited me in lieu of Einstein's statement was that we were going to do something different this time. We were actually going to shut things down. Now, I have been advocating for more than 40 years, even into my teens, when the flu, before we got the flu shot, for those who don't take it, and I'm one of them, I don't remember the last time I had the flu. Could have been 40 years ago. Anyway, 
shut the airlines down. <gasps> oh, Richard, are you crazy? That will devastate the economy. As compared to what we just have, have been going through and are still going through, quite honestly, we're starting to recover. That would be a blip. And it would stop the flu in its tracks. It would stop its spread. And we then could get back to the, uh, okay, the, the productivity, the consumerism, the capitalism, the free enterprise that you cherish so deeply, uh, which also is nothing more than a blip <laughs> uh, in the history of man, in the history of the universe, if you will. Um, that's And that was my perspective. It was... We don't even know the opportunities that are before us because we haven't hit them yet. And, and it's going to be incredible. And there are people, you and, you and I both know this, there are people who have actually thrived through this pandemic. They have found ways. And that's exciting. But not everybody. Every, some people got caught up in the fear and the emotion. And I understand that. You know, I, I can appreciate. And my heart goes out to those who we've lost. Good Lord, some 700,000 Americans. That's, oh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's unbelievable. That's, that's a good-sized city uh, of people we've lost. Anyway, so that was, the issue for me was opportunities, all right? And I was excited, you know. I wish that it hadn't happened, but it did. So it's like oh, you just said, I, catastrophe. I had, I, had, I had the same conversation, Muff, to myself uh, in the first hours of 9-11. The exact same conversation was going on in my mind. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. And people were really beginning to look within. And then within two days, Rudy Giuliani, who then was the mayor of New York City, mm -hmm. goes on the television and tells everybody that the coast is clear, everything is okay, you can go shopping <laughs> yeah and everything just started right up yeah and we lost that opportunity but yeah. not, not so now not so now and i think partly due to the fact that it has been spread out over 18 to 20 and uh, probably going to go right to two years that that we're going to and, and longer there are those who are going to say it's going to take uh, it could take uh, the rest of the 20s uh, before we fully recover. As a matter of fact, uh, I was listening to a report just yesterday about about the economy that was affected in 20, uh, 2008, 2009, and that it was only until 2017 that things actually really started to start to inch up. And of course, now we've got housing prices that are just out of this world. But again, that's that's a subject for another day. The other question I have for you, as we move beyond this aspect of opportunities during the, and you pronounce that uh, eutastrophe or eucatastrophe? Oh, yeah, eucatastrophe. That's right next to the Yucatan Peninsula, by the way, I want you to know. Um, the difference, please tell us the difference between our consciousness and conscience. Consciousness is the background of all reality. It is our awareness. And even though we have different bodies and different minds and different personalities and different habit patterns, all of those change. And yet within each of us, 
this awareness, this beingness, this I amness has always been true based on our own personal experience. If we really uh, check uh, our minds and our memories, there has never been a moment or a day when that was not true. I am. So that is the background of all reality. And the same awareness that is within you is within me, is, is within every form, and it's the background of all reality. Mm. And the body, the human body, appears in consciousness. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And so, as part of the human body, we have a mind. And the mind has four functions, one of which is the conscience. And the conscience operates as a mirror. It can reflect perfect wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind. That's beyond the conscious. It's beyond the unconscious. The superconscious mind is not a metaphor and it's not poetry. It is the same place, the same portion of the mind where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations. It is the same portion of the mind where Paul McCartney hears beautiful melodies. Doesn't mean that any of us using our conscience is go automatically going to become a physicist or a songwriter. Mm -hmm. What it does mean is that the more that we use our conscience as our guide to reflect this perfect wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind into our conscious mind, the more that we use it to determine our thoughts, our words, and our actions, then we can begin to overcome the conflicts and the challenges that face us. And I 100% agree, Einstein's quote has been very instrumental in my work. Mm. A problem cannot be solved on the level at which it arises. It has to be solved on a higher level. Mm. The superconscious wisdom reflected by the conscience into our conscious mind brings us that higher level. Leonard Perlmutter is my guest. His book that we're talking about and the aspects of the philosophy, if you will, Your Conscience, available at yourconscience.org, as well as, I'm sure, Amazon and other wonderful book outlets, and we hope that you'll get a copy of it. We'll be linked to Leonard's website as well as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host here on the program, and we're talking with Leonard Perlmutter, and we're talking about... I, what I find are fascinating things. Now, Leonard, I took psychology in college. Got a C. <laughs> Got a C. But I took it because it fascinated me. And I remember learning about the id, the ego, and the superego. Those were, I think, three of the elements. I, I think there's the, the subconscious, the conscious, and, and so forth. Although those may be different elements of the mind. Um, and... Um, they didn't. I don't recall them really talking too much about uh, the the still small voice, which everybody you know will view that from a different perspective. Some people uh, of a, a, a more esoteric or religious perspective might say, "Oh, that's uh, those are the angels, or that's God, or the Holy Spirit, or you know whatever whatever other term." And it doesn't matter what the term is. 
the fact is that voice is there. And then someone challenged me once saying, yeah, Richard, you can encourage people to do that. But how can you be sure that they're talking with or communicating with or listening to the voice of what you like to call the divine? How do you know that those aren't voices telling them to go out and do terrible things to people, you know, and, you know, rape, pillage and plunder, you know, and so forth and so on. Hey, I, I, I have no idea. Uh, some of my guests, and that's an issue, Richard. It is that's an issue because the ego, which is one of the four major functions of the mind, is a master of disguise, and and it's not beyond the capability of the ego to masquerade as the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, is there a way that we can, and have you found a way that you can? from the outset, let's say, whether it be in meditation or, okay, Leonard, I'm going to close my eyes right now, and I'm gonna, for the next five minutes, I'm just going to sit here and listen, commit the ultimate sin in broadcasting of five minutes of dead air, which I'm not really going to do, and I'm just going to listen to that voice. How do I make sure I am listening to my higher self or that aspect of me that I tr- can trust that will guide me through my day will never put me in harm's way, may challenge me, it may, ch- and it has, but it will never put me in harm's way. How do, uh, have you come up with a way of doing that? You are asking the exact correct question, and the answer is yes. What we do is we have to first and foremost recognize that the mind is our most powerful instrument, and it is the mind that animates the body, mm-hmm. And when the body is animated, whether it's a physical action or a verbal action or even a mental action, there's a consequence that develops that takes us in one direction or the other. So let's just assume, for the sake of argument, Mm -hmm. that the direction that we all want to go in is that we want to be happy, we want to be secure, and we want to be healthy. Mm -hmm. We can define that any way we want. Sure. Okay. So if that's the case, then I need to understand my mind because my mind moves first and my body only follows. I can't even raise my hand without first entertaining a thought. So we all know, at least we've had intuitive feelings about it since childhood, that there are different voices in my mind. And that's true. There are four distinct voices four distinct functions within the mind that make it operate. I mentioned the conscience, but now I'm going to talk about the ego. The ego is that function of the mind which is hardwired to the reptilian brain and serves the reptilian brain. Now the reptilian brain is all about the fear of annihilation, and so too is the ego. The reptilian brain is all about self-preservation, preservation of the form, and so is the ego. So right away, the ego has a limited perspective, being hardwired to the reptilian brain. And in service to the reptilian brain, I imagine that the ego always walks around with a chainsaw strapped to its (laughs) hip. And whenever the ego is in the midst of a relationship, out comes the 
chainsaw, and the relationship is cut in half. And the ego says, over here, this portion, this is pleasant. I define it as good. Let's reprise it. But over on this side, you see, this is unpleasant. And I define this as bad. Let's eliminate it. Let's avoid it. However, we all know from our limited experience, which is the highest knowledge through personal experience, we already know that that which is pleasant isn't always good. And that which is unpleasant isn't always bad. So if I become addicted to the limited perspective of the ego, then I'm going to be locked into my likes and dislikes. And everything is going to be about what I want. And that's a prescription for pain. Mm -hmm. So the ego is not always wrong. I need a healthy ego. You, Richard, need a healthy ego to have this conversation today. Mm -hmm. To drive a truck, to drive an automobile, we need a healthy ego. But the point is, the ego only has a limited perspective. Yeah. Uh -huh. And the ego is often wrong but never in doubt. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the functions of the mind. And it acts as a counselor, can only make suggestions, can only make suggestions of what's to be done and what's not to be done. Mm -hmm. But the ego has a very loud, pushy voice, very insistent. That's the ego. Next comes the senses. Ah. The mind has become addicted to, to projecting our creative energy through the eyes, the nostrils, the mouth, the ears, the hands, and the feet in desperate search of happiness and security. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit analogous to squeezing a tube of toothpaste. You squeeze the tube of toothpaste doesn't take much uh, uh, effort, and out comes the toothpaste. Mm -hmm. But do we ever contemplate if we ever had to put the toothpaste back in the tube? Oh, that would be virtually impossible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So once the mind becomes addicted to sense gratification through the eyes, the nostrils, the mouth, the ears, the hands, and the feet, we dissipate a tremendous amount of our creative energy that could be used for higher purposes, mm -hmm. like resolving that which is seemingly unresolvable yeah. in the world. And so, again, this, the senses, too, only have a limited perspective. They're often wrong and never in doubt, and they are only advisors. Okay. Now, there are other realms we can talk about as we continue. Uh, my guest today is uh, Leonard Perlmutter. He is the author of Your Conscience. Yourconscience.org is the website. And you can also find out more about the work that he does uh, on his website. And the website that uh, we are uh, looking at today, which I am actually very excited about from that standpoint, is the American Meditation Institute, Bringing Yoga Science to Life. And we're going to talk about that as well here on the program. This is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, bringing you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. 
Do you know that this program is here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. Oh, and don't forget about the program at 9 a.m. on Wednesdays. That's our special edition. Special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And, uh, of course, we are on podcasts all over the place. Podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many others, too numerous to mention. And I want to thank those of you who've been reposting our podcasts. I appreciate that. I can't be everywhere. Uh, I'm a one-man band right now. Uh, I'm looking at hiring a percussionist, but uh, right now it's just me. So <laughs> so uh, bear with me if we're not uh, coming up where you would like. Uh, please uh, go to YouTube because you can watch these interviews on YouTube. Go to Richard Dugan and tell me your story. Just look for the guy with the hat. Not hard to find. I did notice there is another channel called Tell Me Your Story, but that ain't mine. Okay, so just look for me. Look for the uh, banner across the top that says Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. That's also how you will know you are there. And subscribe if you'd like. We'd appreciate that. As of this broadcast, uh, we are probably at 48,000 listens on the podcasts through the analytics of SoundCloud. Now, that goes back to January 1 of uh, 2018. But our numbers have been going through the roof since July, ever since we expanded to to, uh, 10 or 12 other platforms. So thank you so much for listening. My guest is uh, Leonard uh, Leonard Perlmutter. He's the author of, as I said before, uh, Your Conscience. Conscience. I want to ask you about the difference, and and we're going to do this uh, comparison here, uh, a couple more things here that I have. The difference between my conscience... And common sense, they say that you can't teach it. You either have it or you don't. And it sounds to me like with a conscience, it's the same thing. You either have one or you don't, which means you're either alive or you're not. Well, I think my perspective is exactly the same. Yes, I believe that the conscience reflects superconscious wisdom into our conscious mind. And when it comes into our conscience mind, we say to ourselves, oh, that's just common sense, which is not so common anymore. Yeah. That's right. That's because we, we have abandoned the conscience for the other loud, pushy voices in our mind, mm. like the ego that we just described and the senses. And the third function of the mind being the unconscious. This is the repository that everything we deem essential to our self-preservation. And we know that some of that which is in the unconscious isn't bad, isn't inaccurate, but there's a lot of faulty concepts in the unconscious mind. You know, things we got from mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or friends we went to school with or celebrities or politicians. You know, we, we pick these things up like a collector, all these these concepts. And as it turns out, many of them are faulty. And when we serve them, we wind up in pain and we wind up causing other people pain. So you have these three counselors, you have these three advisors in the mind. The ego is all about pleasant and unpleasant. The senses, all about sense gratification. And the unconscious are habit patterns. Okay? And very often, their loud, pushy voices 
overwhelm the ability of the conscience to reflect perfect wisdom from the center of consciousness, from the superconscious portion of the mind. When the ego senses an unconscious mind sort of gang up on the conscience, the conscience, since it is the only function of the mind that can discriminate, determine, judge, and decide, the conscience winds up just rubber stamping the limited perspectives of the ego senses and unconscious mind. That gets us in trouble. Yeah. It's critically important to remember that every single choice we have ever made in our lives and every single choice we will ever make is always going to be made by the conscience because it is the only function of the mind that can de decide what's to be done and what's not to be done. But only if we can coordinate the ego senses an unconscious mind, coordinate them through experimentation, can we really allow the ego senses an unconscious mind to grow, incorporating the wisdom of the conscience so that this holistic organism that we call this mind-body-sense complex can be more healthy, more productive, more creative. Well, I'm going to throw one more thing at you to see what you think about this in that respect of choices. As you heard me say earlier, uh, we're here to give people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. Now, when I say that, it's because a lot of people don't know what choices they have. But one of my guests made an interesting observation, and I thought it was profound, really profound. He said, yeah, it is true. You are where you are right now because of all of the choices you've made. And yes, it is also true that in the future you will be where you will be because of the choices you make from this point forward. But he says, there's another perspective. The choices that you make from this point forward are influenced by your perception of what you think the future will be. And it goes back to that concept you spoke of, of uh, the reptilian mind or part of the brain. Uh, that's another subject I'd like to get into, too. Um, as opposed to the, uh, I don't know, the other parts of the brain, you know, the... <laughs> I don't know what they are called. I mean, as, oppo as opposed to the reptilian brain, the God brain or, or the higher consciousness brain or whatever. But I thought, wow, I hadn't really thought of it that way. That I'm going to make choices based upon what I think the future is going to be. And so we kind of see why we are as a species where we are today, where we were 50 years ago where we were a hundred years ago and maybe even a thousand years ago. I mean, yes, technology, that's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. But as a species, we really, I've even heard this phrase. Uh, we haven't even crossed the threshold of the front of the cave as a species. And okay. it's like, you know, I'd really like to get across that threshold. I need some fresh air. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. Our perceptions 
are skewed by our conceptions. Our perceptions are skewed by our conceptions. And because so many of our conceptions are faulty, what we perceive is faulty. It's very analogous to the Plato's cave analogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we are simply assuming that which appears is the reality. Just like the prisoners in Plato's cave thought that the, the shadows on the wall was, was that they were the, what was real. But that's not the truth, you see. But we live in our ignorance. And uh, that's why Shakespeare says there's nothing either good or bad. Only thinking makes it so. Mm-hmm. And so what we need to do is we need to examine our concepts and sacrifice those that are faulty so we can change the software of the mind so that we can become clearer. You know, there, there were, there's a, a marvelous little story about three baseball umpires. They're having dinner together. The first umpire uh, is about, I'd say that he's a rookie. And they're talking about, well, they're talking shops. So they're talking about what constitutes a ball and what constitutes a strike. And, and the rookie says, I call him as I see him. <laughs> and the second umpire, who has been calling balls and strikes for about 10 years, he's, he looks at the other two and says, well, I call them as they are. And the third umpire, who's been calling balls and strikes for about 25 years, looks at the other two and says, huh, they are what I call them. <laughs> and there are some umpires who are like that, too. <laughs> and so the blind lead the blind yeah. because we have so many faulty concepts that we have received from these blind human beings that... What happens is we every generation becomes just sort of a blurred carbon copy of the previous generation. Yeah. So whose life am I living? Whose life are you living? Yeah. If we're all enslaved to these faulty concepts that we got from who knows where. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if if I if I just finish dinner, uh, there's a there's a thought that comes to me. Am I going to brush my teeth? And so I have to make a decision. Am I going to brush my teeth? Am I not going to brush my teeth? So what do I do personally? I have a meeting around the kitchen table. And I invite the ego, the senses, the unconscious mind, and the conscience to make a decision. So I make an appointment. And we're all sitting around the the kitchen table. And I say to ego... You have the floor. Tell us whether your opinion is that we should brush our teeth or not brush our teeth. And what does the ego say? Oh, that's very unpleasant. I don't like it. I'm against it. Okay, well, thank you very much for your limited perspective. <laughs> now we're going to go on to the senses. Senses, what, what's your opinion? Well, if I'm totally honest, and I'm always totally honest, uh, I had a wonderful dinner. I especially like dessert. I love apple pie. And we had apple pie. So as far as I'm concerned about this brushing the teeth, I'd rather have a second piece of apple pie. (laughs) I want more dessert. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, senses. Thank you. That's very nice. 
Now unconscious? What do you have to say? Oh, I'm with the other two. Okay. Thank you all. Thank you, the ego, senses, and unconscious mind for speaking, you know, your advice. Now we're going to all sit quietly around the table as we listen to the conscience, who now can reflect super conscious wisdom. And he will share his perspective. Conscience, you now have the floor. And so what does the conscience say? Well, if the truth be known, this life of ours is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And for a marathon, we need strong, healthy teeth. We need strong, healthy gums. We need strong, healthy immune system. And by brushing our teeth with a two-minute investment, it goes a long way to saving our teeth and our gums and boosting our immune system. So just for the sake of an experiment, my perspective is let's do the experiment together and see how it feels. Mm. It's relatively easy. It's just going to be a two-minute investment. Nobody's threatened. Let's try it. And everybody walks off to the bathroom and we brush the teeth and then we come back. You see, we always have to come back to the kitchen table because we have to find out how everybody, uh, what kind of uh, uh, an experience you had. Ego, what kind of experience they, did you have? Well, it wasn't as bad as I feared. <laughs> senses, senses, what, what's your point? What, what did you experience? Well, I was really shocked, the senses say. When the tongue glides over the teeth, I don't feel that mossy feeling on the teeth. So I like that. That's rather pleasant. And unconscious, how about you? Well, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. Okay, so what do we do? We just, we just had a pleasant experience. I had a pleasant experience. The ego had a pleasant experience. The senses had a pleasant experience. The unconscious mind had a pleasant experience. Nobody was threatened. Nobody was going to be annihilated by this change of habit. Mm -hmm. We're still all here, and we had a good experience. And the ego senses an unconscious mind all of a sudden because of this relatively easy experiment. They trust me, and they trust the conscience mm. a little bit more than they did an hour ago. And I just keep on building these experiments, one after the other, with the ego senses, unconscious mind, and the conscience, something that's not beyond their capacity to handle it, something that's not going to threaten them, which will provide them a pleasant experience and expand their awareness mm. of trusting the conscience as their guide. We're talking with Leonard Perlmutter. He is the author of Your Conscience, yourconscience.org. We'll be linked to his website as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I am finding this conversation very fascinating because it is diving into an area that we, of course, in the context of the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s going within and so forth, we're encouraging people as difficult and as challenging as it might be to get to know self. And the reason why it can get to be very challenging is because 
we are made up of not only the light side, if you will, but also the shadow side. Now, some might say the dark side. I, I prefer the shadow side uh, because that's only because we have sort of turned our back on the light a little bit, you know. And to me, that that is truly what, if, if one wanted to use this word sin, that's what sin is, is turning the uh, one's back on the light. And I am speaking of the light of self, the light side of self, where we, all we're doing is self-deprecating. Uh, you know, that sounds like, a pretty disgusting thing to do because it almost sounds like you need a porta potty for it. Uh, and in a manner of speaking, that's not a bad analogy. I have met so many people who put themselves down. I mean, I, I worked with a guy once who would be in recording something and he'd make a mistake. All of a sudden, you'd hear this yelling and screaming at himself, cursing himself, going on and on about. And then he'd continue on recording, you know, and so forth. And, uh, and I, I just really, you know, I thought, wow, this guy really doesn't like himself, you know, uh, or doesn't have a good thing to say. Whereas I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here talking with you, Leonard, and I'm going, okay, you said that we have to have a healthy ego. All right. My healthy ego says I'm good at what I do. I'm good at interviewing. I'm good at production. I'm good at creativity in the realms of audio and now video uh, production and editing. A video only been involved in since 2020, uh, the July of 2020, as a matter of fact. Uh, no, again, I, I don't agree with that. You do not? No, I don't agree with that. I believe that you are exquisitely talented in serving the truth in the form of these technical capabilities. Ah. You are the instrument. Okay. You are the instrument of your higher self and, your, and the wisdom that you are accessing through your own conscience, through the super conscious wisdom that you have access to, and you are simply a servant. That's why you're so energized by this project. That's why you're, you, you're, your shows are a blessing to so many people. Because you are a conduit, and that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, way to uh, live one's life. Well, well, thank you. I uh, hadn't really thought of it that way, and I kind of like that better than the other. <laughs> because you are not the to... doer. You yeah. are not the doer. Right. I don't have to worry about being humble. And I'm not saying that I can get bigger, too big for my britches, mind you. But it's it's in the proper perspective, if you will. I like okay. that. I like that. There's no reason for egotism or, or humility. Right. It's just, yeah. And I, I have to tell you that if I'm the conduit, then in, in a manner of speaking, I don't really have to be responsible for what happens as I am being used because I am choosing to be used. And this is one of the interesting things that people, I think they grapple with. For example, when we start talking about freedom, liberty, uh, free will, and so forth. And I find it fascinating how in this country in particular, and I, I used to work for 15 years for a Christian radio station, my friend. Mm -hmm. And when I left, I did not tow the party line and was referred to as a casualty of Christian radio, which I I proudly pronounce because the questions I was asking, the answers I was getting didn't make any sense. 
It was to- they were totally illogical. Um, but what I find so fascinating about that philosophy specifically is how they talk about, oh, you know, you, you know, uh, uh, just do God's will. Just do God's will. Well, when you read the Bible, in this case, this is the book of the Christian faith, there is no room for you. You have to do God's will. Okay? And it isn't up to you anymore. If you are going to serve God, you don't have a free will anymore. You have, you have chosen through your free will, this is kind of a paradox here, you have chosen to give up your free will to God to be a, and in this case, a conduit, if you will, okay? Mm-hmm. But it's, that, is, that was your choice. So anything that you do from that moment forward, and this is an analogy I've used many times, where there's this individual, they're walking around and they're holding their will in their hands saying, I just want to do God's will, I just want to do God's will, I just want to do God's will. And God is listening, and the individual tosses their will in the air. And God is listening and catches their will in God's hands and begins, and I'm keeping it genderless because we don't know. And God is compressing that person's will down to the size of a baseball. Now, I love baseball. Absolutely love the game. To me, it's ballet. It's baseball is in ballet. It's the game of life. Absolutely. And uh, tears are rolling down God's face. Oh, my God. One of my creation wants to do my will. I am. That is so wonderful. And then God rears back and throws a 90-mile-an-hour Nolan Ryan fastball and hits the person square in the forehead and says, my quote, okay, then do something with the life I gave you. You are not a puppet on a string being manipulated by forces you do not understand. Now, I can choose at any point not to be a conduit anymore. But... For whatever reason, I'm going to say it this way, I can't. Because I think what's happened is by being this conduit for so long, almost over 40 years, I have gr- it's almost an addiction. These programs even, I'd say, are my, phil- are my therapy, as well as my education. That's right. So... All of this that's happening, and by the way, this whole concept of conduit really came home to me when I, be, when I took my training as a Reiki master, mm-hmm. that I don't control the energy. I can direct it to someone, but it isn't coming from me. It's coming through me. And then that person or a situation I send it to chooses what to do with the energy, all right? It's, it's like the electric company doesn't send power to your house and says, oh, you can only run the TV or you can only run the... No, no, no. They let you choose what you're going to power. Mm-hmm. Same thing. So I am proud to be a conduit in that regard. I, I, I really am. And I'm glad you are also a conduit. We're talking with uh, Leonard, Leonard Perlmutter, and you go by another name as well. I want to talk about that as we continue here and, and talk about the American Meditation Institute. We'll do that as we continue on Tell Me Your Story. We are talking with uh, Ram Lev.
That's right. No, our guest hasn't changed. He's still the same person, but goes by Ram Lev. And I want to thank you so much for joining us and talking to us also about the American Meditation Institute uh, that is also accessible through the website that we will be linked to, which is the book that you've written called uh, Your Conscience and yourconscience.org. Tell us a little bit about why you chose this path in particular of meditation. Why is it so important that you've created this institute and you're wanting to teach people uh, how to do it so that it is beneficial to them? And can I put it in this context so that they can learn how to become that conduit? Well, you know, I've always been very uh, philosophically oriented, even since uh, a childhood. And, uh, I've been philosophical, but I've also been very practical. Those are the two uh, uh, principles that seem to have guided my life. And when I was a, a young boy, uh, I joined the Scouts. Gosh, I loved the Scouts. I was a Cub Scout. I was a Boy Scout. Uh, it, was a, it was a marvelous way of learning practical tools, skills, life skills. Uh, and it was interesting because uh, when I was a Boy Scout, I... I said to uh, my scoutmaster once, you know, the motto of scouts is to be prepared. Uh, but be prepared for what? And so he looked at me in a very you know, a strange way, and he said, Leonard, how would I know? That's why you need these tools. <laughs> because life is going to throw just about everything at you. Mm -hmm. And unless you have the tools to deal with it, uh, it's not going to be easy, and you're going to be in pain. So mm. when I began uh, exploring in later years, in my, in my 20s, the perennial philosophy of these women and men thousands of years ago, who, just like us, uh, did not want to live with all this pain, and they began to look within to seek within and to find the truth within and to actualize it through their thoughts, words, and actions. And when I, I read these things and I, I, I discovered them, I, I said to myself, gee, this is just like scouting. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I don't have to uh, give myself over to uh, anybody else. I, 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 can, I can do this uh, myself. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, I had a conversation with a colleague in California, and I said, you know, I really have fallen in love with this yoga science. I think it's terrific, but uh, I'm self-employed, and uh, I have to deal with a lot of fear. Hmm. Uh, it seems to me that uh, this philosophy, this science is better uh, designed for people who work for the government. They have a paycheck coming in. They have health insurance. Uh, perhaps they have uh, a retirement plan, a pension. I have none of these being self-employed. Do you have any advice? And he said something that immediately turned the light on and dispelled the darkness. He said, Leonard, your problem is you consider yourself self-employed. He said, I'm employed by the self. Whoa. And there was the light. I said to myself, I can be employed by the self. All I have to do is use the conscience. 
to coordinate the ego senses and unconscious mind and knowing that I'll always be content because if my outer actions reflect my inner wisdom, there's no inner conflict and the outcome is always going to lead me for my highest good. That was uh, in the uh, mid-70s and I have no longer considered myself self-employed since. Wow. I, wow. <laughs> uh, that is... Good that's, reaction. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Well, it's incredible because even though I have never looked at... Though, I mean, certainly I have been employed by various radio stations over the years. But it was my father who said to me early on, Richard... Be sure that you uh, find something, uh, find a job that you love doing because you're going to do it. You're going to do it the rest of your life. Don't get stuck like me. Now, my father didn't stay stuck. He went to college and, and got his computer programming degree in the 70s and uh, was able to move on. He's now 90, retired for, I don't know, 20, 25 years. Uh, still doing great, going strong. My mother as well at 87. Oh, but those were the words that he gave me. And whether I am a living under a lucky star, uh, whether I was in the right place at the right time, uh, not that it really matters. I have I, I consider myself to be fortunate that I guess I was listening to that still small voice or allowing myself to be guided, whether it be consciously or otherwise, That's right. to pursue the various jobs that I have over the years. Now, there was a period of time when I was out of radio, and I thought that the jobs that I was doing had nothing to do with what, like, what I'm doing now, until I finally realized that there's no wasted time. There's okay. never anything that you are doing that doesn't have something to do with your overall life, whether it's nothing more than a, shall we say, a way station until the next train comes along to take you to the next stop. Right. It doesn't matter. There's no wasted time. All roads lead to where we stand. There you are. And um, there's a line in a song that I am writing, my very first effort at it, uh, with some help of a friend, that says, where I'm going is where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. And where that line comes from is more along the lines of what my parents taught me about how to be a person, let alone a man, is where I'm coming from, and that's where I'm going. Uh, it's it, it may be circular in a manner of speaking, uh, and I'll put it in this context. Chivalry might be dead in some circles, but I still open the car door for my wife or other women, and, and I maybe, I don't know, maybe that's sexist and I don't intend it to be. I'm just being courteous. That's all I'm doing. I'm just, be, I'm being kind, that's okay? Right. That's right. Um... I do my utmost never to speak ill of other people. I get very frustrated at some of the stuff I hear on TV and uh, radio. <laughs> and I, I vent with some of my friends in broadcasting and we just kind of, we get it out of our systems instead of spewing it on the air or anything like that. But um, I'm a very optimistic person. Uh, glass is half full. And 
I'm excited about what the future holds. I mean, I remember when I was in my teens thinking about the year 2020, thinking, wow, I'll be 60. And of course, I loved being born in 1960 because it made it so easy to remember how old I was at any given point along the way. <laughs> as if as if I'd forget. Um, not even realizing that when I got to 2020, I'd be running this campaign called the Decade of Perfect Vision. So... What would be your uh, analysis or assessment as to an individual such as myself who finds himself doing for as long as I have what I am doing, having a blast, um, would I like to have five or six or seven digits before the decimal point in my bank account? That'd be great. I'd love that. What for? But that's not why I do this. That's right. That's not why I do this. You know, uh, there's a marvelous little story of uh, Mother Teresa. And uh, she came to Chicago once, uh, and she met with uh, some very high-powered, uh, uh, quite wealthy business people. And they announced that they had all put a, quite a bit of money into a fund with her name on it so that at any time she could draw on it to do things that she needed to do. And what was her response? I have no need for it. I have no need for this right now. I don't want to tie up that money in, in some kind of a financial uh, a fund. I'd rather have you give it to somebody that you know needs it now. As for myself, I just consider myself a pencil in the hand of Jesus. I love that. <laughs> to be used to be used up. Yeah. And 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 should something uh, uh, appear that I I need uh, resources, I have always found that those resources have appeared also. You know, uh, first of all, uh, not to name drop, but mind you, I was privileged back, I believe it was in the 80s, when Mother Teresa came to Phoenix to be in the front row of the audience as part of the radio station, the Christian station I was working for, to be in her presence. And it was really quite remarkable. But there's also a story along the same lines of what you just described that I, I love sharing and is of these two gentlemen. They've been good friends for years, almost like my best friend and I. And I love saying this because it's so exciting to be able to say, at 61, I have known this gentleman and stayed in contact and stayed friends with this gentleman for 50 years. We met and went through grade school, high school, college together, and gone through a lot of uh, troubles and turmoils and so forth and shared those, whether we're uh, distance apart or what have you. And... Um, so there are these two gentlemen, and um, they go out to breakfast one morning, and they have a great, great meal, and their conversation, fantastic, and the bill comes. And uh, the first gentleman we'll call Bob. He picks up the check and reaches in his pocket and pulls out exactly the amount of money needed for the bill. And uh, then they go on their way. And a few weeks later, they get together for lunch, and we'll just say the same thing happens. And then they get together for dinner a few weeks later, and the same thing happens, only this time his friend Steve says, you know, Bob, I've noticed that, you know, last couple times we went out, you, somehow you've always had, and it's not that I don't want to pay, but you, you always have exactly the right amount for, for the bill. I mean, how in the world do you know what we're going to order and all this kind of stuff? He says, well, 
Uh, let me tell you, uh, I came across this lamp and uh, I, I rubbed on it just just because it was kind of a cutie thing to do, you know. Hey, this is a lamp, uh, oil lamp. Uh, I bet you there's a genie inside. Well, believe it or not, there was a genie inside. Came out, says, you may have one wish. And Bob uh, uh, says, you know, I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And I said, Can I get back to you? Sure, absolutely. But you only get one. And no, you cannot wish for more wishes. <laughs> so a few days later, he comes back to the genie and he says, I know what my wish is. My wish is that I will always have exactly what I need when I need it to take care of the things that I need. Now, I've shared this story with people who talk about abundance, prosperity, uh, financial freedom, and those kinds of things. And asked the question, is that coming from a perspective of an attitude of lack, that I, there isn't enough? Or uh, am I taking a proper perspective that, uh, as Jesus said, look at the birds. They fly through the air and they don't toil. They don't work. They don't do those things. And yet they're taken care of. Right. How much more will your father who loves you take care of you? So why worry about where your next meal is coming from or where your next pair of shoes are going to come from? And that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking about in terms of what you have just described. Trusting the universe. And when prosperity does show up, being grateful and thankful for the, not for the prosperity, but for the universe taking care of you. Correct. That's right. And you know, when we have these uh, emotionally charged uh, issues and relationships like fear or anger or greed, I, my feeling is they're not bad because the fear, the anger, and the greed is simply what? Energy. And energy can't be created and it can't be destroyed, but it can be transformed. So when I am aware of a, a thought that evokes fear or a thought that evokes anger or a thought that evokes greed, I now know that I have the capacity to transform that debilitating and contractive and poisoning energy into an expansive force of healing energy, willpower, and creativity simply by sacrificing the fear, sacrificing the anger, sacrificing the, the greed to the origin from which it came. Mm. And of course, there's only one origin, and it's G-O-D, mm -hmm. regardless of what you call that. Right. And so sacrifice is the mechanism for transformation mm -hmm. of that contractive and poisoning energy. Yeah. So if you have a lot of fear or anger, or greed, it means you're very wealthy. If you have the refining capacity and the intention of transforming it when it comes from the unconscious into the conscious mind. I, 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 this is just uh, incredible stuff that I think, folks, you need to check into. Go to uh, Ram Lev's uh, website. It is yourconscience.org. Pick up a copy of the same book, the book by the same name, Your Conscience. Uh, I think that you're going to be fascinated by it. And get in touch with, uh, get in touch with our guest. His name uh, is Leonard uh, Perlmutter. A.K.A. Ram Lev, uh, curious as to um, uh, where, uh, when you took on that. Do I say name? Is it a title? How, how does that? Uh, what's the derivation?
The derivation is that uh, um, my meditation master, Swami Rama of the Hamayas, before he dropped his body, uh, gave me that name. It's two names in one. It's a compound name, Ram and Lave. So Ram was an indication that this philosophy uh, is now part of my life. Ram means the highest ideal of the human being. And the second is Lave, which was my Hebrew name. I was raised in the Jewish tradition as a kid. And so he said, you should bring these two together. The Ram means the highest ideal of the human being. The Lave means the heart of a lion. And, and together, one plus one will equal three. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, we're using the new math as uh, once again. I remember reading about the new math, too, by the way, about 10 years, 15 years ago. Uh, and basically it went like this. Tip traditional math is 2 plus 2 is 4, right? New math is 2 plus 2. All right, children, let's discuss what that totals. <laughs> okay? Uh, it is not a... You know, I don't know where we would have landed uh, in 1969 if we'd used the new math. I really, I really don't know. <laughs> the point is that when you, when two things come together, yeah. you create an amalgamation. That's right. That's right. And, and it's beyond the ability of either, either of the components. I am just utterly fascinated, and it's so. Uh, I'm so glad that uh, you have joined us here on the program. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, and uh, Leonard uh, Perlmutter, I'm our, our guest, and I hope that you will stay with us here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true on this program, and we hope that you will uh, go to uh, our website as well, richarddugan.com, uh, where you'll find all of the podcasts on the players that we've got posted there on the homepage. We also hope that you will spend some time uh, in uh, meditation or just spend some quiet time. We have a beautiful park here. Um, and what's funny is that everybody seems to refer to it incorrectly. The park was named after a woman. Um, oh, and now I'm forgetting. Lois, her name. Her name was Lois Keck. Last name was Park. Just so happens. And so everybody's, I'll meet you at Lois Keck Park. And actually, it's a, a, it's a memorial garden for her. So it's actually Lois Keck Park Memorial Garden. But a lot of people refer to it as a park. And it kind of is a park. But it's a beautiful place. It's got a, a lagoon. And there are, I think there are fish in the lagoon. I think there are ducks on the water. Grass that's kept, uh, kept mowed and so forth. The shrubs. And I think there's even a labyrinth uh, made of shrubs. And trees all over. And here in Santa Barbara, in the middle of town, you can go there. Yeah, you'll still hear the traffic. But if you go to the center of the, of the garden, oh, my gosh, it's, it's just so beautiful what you see. You can hear the birds and, and so on and so forth. So I encourage you to find a place wherever you live. And even if you have to go, and I say this literally, into your closet and close the door, okay, shutting out the light and just trying to get quiet and listen to the still small voice uh, and maybe in your mind's eye maybe you can imagine a Lois Keck Memorial Garden uh, or any other 
uh, there was a park in, in in Phoenix that I loved to go to called Encanto Park, and it was huge. It had a big lagoon as well. You get paddle paddle boats and 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 ride on the on the water. Uh, just spend that time, folks. Just do that, okay? And as I said, if you can support the work that we are doing financially, we would greatly appreciate that. All you have to do is go to PayPal and send us uh, whatever you can. Uh, and the email address that they're going to ask for, you're going to want to put in. It's Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's Richard at RichardDugan.com. Any amount is welcome. We will take energetic support as well. Uh, we will put it to very good use as well as the dollars uh, that folks have contributed as well as those who will. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are very grateful for that support. We also encourage you to listen to this program Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., as well as Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, and that is at 9 a.m. Wednesday mornings. That's Pacific time for all those. Uh, you don't always have to wait for that. Uh, as well, as I said, you can listen to it uh, live on the line at richarddugan.com or go to the podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeart, as well as... Amazon Music and a bunch of other places. Uh, I've, I guess I've, I've really memorized that that particular list, and it comes out very quickly. But hey, just look up "Tell Me Your Story," Richard Dugan, and boom, you'll you'll find it. And we're on YouTube, where you can watch these videos. And uh, I'm very grateful for my guests allowing us to uh, to have a video copy of this interview, uh, podcast, and video cast. And it's it's really really great and I'm excited about the fact that I guess I'm not sure how long the stuff will stay up after my go leaving this uh, this earth after I uh, what was it you said about your guru he dropped his body uh, yeah. when, when I drop my body uh, the legacy I hope will go on and uh, uh, who knows maybe I'll Maybe I'll come back through someone. I'll let them channel uh, some wisdom and information rather than coming back in the physical. Because there are lots of different ways to do There's always workarounds, folks. There's always workarounds. Uh, Leonard, I, uh, I, love, uh, I love our conversation here. And I, I know that uh, we're fast approaching the end of the time that we're going to spend here right now. But before we go, let's talk a little more about uh, this aspect of meditation. My introduction was through Autobiography of a Yogi at the age of 16, 17. It's my metaphysical primer. And yeah. I consider myself to be a metaphysician. Uh, I sort of adhere to the Baha'i's uh, founder, Baha'u'llah's statement, that if you accept one of the messengers of God, you accept them all. If you reject one of the messengers of God, you reject them all. And I accept them all. I don't necessarily agree with them all. That's not the point. The point is that they came here to give us a message, and I think that message was more of love and unity uh, than anything, more than anything else. Uh, and I would probably uh, be close to saying the same thing about even your guru, who was also a messenger of God, I'm sure. Um, but in terms of this aspect of meditation, there are a lot of people that they, they get hung up in the structure, don't they? Mm -hmm. Um is, is there, without getting hung up in the structure here, <laughs> is there, um, what's the best place for someone who has never meditated or has felt that they have never been successful at meditating uh, to, uh, uh, to begin so as to start to build that confidence in knowing, okay, uh, I'm doing it quote unquote right and I'm going to be able to hear that still small voice. I'm going to be able to 
Uh, not that well, you wouldn't say that there's anything really to achieve in meditation, would you? <laughs> no, 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 no experience in meditation but is you, the correct. Experience. You hear where I'm. You hear where I'm coming from. Uh, to to help somebody to get into that because it sounds to me like it's a very important integral part of who we are as not just physical beings but even spiritual beings. Well, meditation is uh, uh, a dire necessity for every human being. Uh, and insofar as whether people uh, uh, feel that they are successful at it or not successful at it, uh, most of uh, the people who uh, believe that they, they can't meditate or they haven't uh, had a good experience don't really understand the meditation uh, process. And that is as follows, that in the meditation process, thoughts are not necessarily eliminated. Having a distracting thought during the meditation process is part of the meditation process. It's knowing how to dance with that thought that arises. Mm. What you do with it, that counts. So when you meditate on a mantra or your breath to the exclusion of everything else and a thought uh, comes into your awareness, that is distracting. You don't push it away. You're not angry at yourself. You simply honor it, witness, and then sacrifice the distraction back to the origin from which it came, and then bring the mind back to the object, to the mantra, or to the breath. Mm -hmm. And this does four things. One, it provides you a one-pointed mind. A one-pointed mind is the mind of a genius. Second, you learn to become detached. You learn to create a space between stimulus and response. And in the space between stimulus and response is your freedom to use your conscience to reflect superconscious wisdom so that you will know whether this, stim whether this stimulus is to be served or to be sacrificed. Mm. And in the process of all that, you also build the muscles of willpower to do what's to be done, when it's to be done, and not do what's not to be done, when it's not to be done. Yeah. I think uh, two of my favorite things that I heard, uh, one was about how the Buddha... Um, uh, came to enlightenment. Uh, he had been searching, 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 and finally he just sat down under the Bodhi tree, and I give up, and boom, there it was. Uh, and that's what we need to do, is we need to give up the struggle uh, and, uh, and, and, just, and just let it go. The other has to do with the mind, and I've often put it this way uh, for myself, and that is, uh, okay, I'm going to have a little conversation before I meditate with my mind, which is an integral part of who I am. It's an important part of who I am. I need my mind. Mm -hmm. So I have a conversation saying, okay, look, uh, you are important to me. However, right now, I want to spend some time in contemplation. So as soon as I'm done, I will come back to you and we will just, we'll have a grand old time coming up with all kinds of creative stuff. We'll solve if we can, the problems of the world, you know, whatever the case might be. But could you give me the next half hour maybe 
or the, just the next period of time, whatever, however long it is. Well, it should be as small a period as possible, you see. Yeah. I ask people to start meditating or contemplating for 60 seconds. Ah, very good. Make it a no-brainer. And if you can do 60 seconds for a week every day, you uh -huh. see, once a day, uh, and you're, you're enjoying it and it's rewarding, mm -hmm. and, and you have the time and you have the interest, add another minute. Don't take on too much too soon. There you go. There you go. Exactly. Take a, just little bites, little bites at a time. Uh, feel the success. Okay. okay. Feel the confidence that you're, like you say, you're, you're, you're exercising and building up that muscle. That's right. And uh, so that's what I would say to my mind is just, just give me a minute. Okay. Just give me a minute and then I'll come back to you. I'm not ignoring you. You're, you're, a, you're not bad. Okay. I'm not going to criticize, you know, I need you. I absolutely, you know, and, and, uh, and just, and make friends with the mind. You know, that's so important. By the way, I remember when we were talking about the ego and the superego and so forth, uh, what came back to me was an interview I had with a gentleman who wrote a book about, uh, 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 psychopaths and, uh, sociopaths. And, uh, he said that, um, aside from all of the cons, you know, the list of pros and cons, Aside from the list of the cons in regards to a sociopath, the pros are that they get things done. They get things done. Uh, yeah, they, <laughs> they do step on people. You know, they do push people aside and so forth. Uh, but they are the kind of people who have the drive. They don't care about the rules. They're going to get done what they want to get done. Now, there are certain elements of, shall we call it, psychopathism, or uh, what have you, that we could learn from, but we don't necessarily want to go down that path, you know, right. if we are choosing to be a, that conduit for the wisdom and the divine energy and so forth to serve others. And, um, that, uh, you know, that it, it's just a, it's a wonderful life not to coin that phrase too many times. And it really is. It's a fabulous life. It's it's. It's, um, I, I'll put it this way. It's, it's like riding a roller coaster uh, in an amusement park. And it's the twists and turns that are the challenges in life. And sometimes it's even that big hill that you climb. And the climbing of the hill isn't so bad. It's the, the drop that can, you know, scare the bejesus out of you. Um, but that's this life. And, you know, you if you start on the roller coaster, you have to wait until the car comes to a full and complete stop, you know, keeping your arms and legs, well, at least your legs, uh, in the uh, vehicle at all times until it comes to a full and complete stop. Um, so I, I love the analogy, uh, Ramlev, of, of um, uh, 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 the baseball analogy of someone who has a bottle of champagne in one hand or a glass of champagne in one hand and a fistful of chocolates in the other and comes sliding into home base, which would be the end of their physical life and says, man, what a ride. Let's do it again. <laughs> and uh, I'm hoping that people can can start to, to feel that way that, you know, you don't have to come back. But, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm learning that there is no dualism. This is just life. And this is what we experience and uh, that we don't have to get stuck. And I think that's part of a, a lot, if not a majority of what you were trying to share with us today, is that we don't have to get stuck in 
uh, the drama and the dualism um, and all of that? Well, this has just been an outstanding and very rewarding uh, time that I'm sharing with you. I really appreciate your being here. You're doing the work that you're doing, the seeds that you are planting, and uh, I, I applaud uh, all the energy that you're able to uh, bring to, to that endeavor. Well, so thank you, and well, God bless you. Well, thank you very much. I do have three final questions I like to ask all of my guests. You sure. may have answered them in some fashion during the interview, but I do like to ask them directly. And because I've already said all the preliminaries, I don't need to wait. I can go straight in and say to the first question, who is Leonard Perlmutter? Did you hear my answer? I did. <laughs> I did. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? And finally... I'll tell you the truth. I, 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 just as a point of reference, uh, I, I never use the word hope. I, I think it's a, a word uh, filled with bankruptcy. Uh, it always... It always it is always uh, co-joined with fear mm. that I might lose what I have or I might not get what I want. So I, I generally, uh, I don't hope for anything. I just uh, serve, try to stay in the moment. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Service. Well, Ramlev, I thank you again for joining us on the program. Uh, they'll, they'll find your book through your name, uh, Leonard uh, Perlmutter, and it is Your Conscience. Yourconscience.org is the website. It's also to the American Meditation Institute, and we certainly hope that people will take the time to spend 60 seconds, ladies and gentlemen. Get a little egg timer if you have to. Uh, 60 seconds. Spend some time meditating. Uh, it will do you a world of good. And when I say world, I mean universal world of good. And uh, Leonard, again, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Richard. I'm Richard Dugan, and uh, this has been Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world as we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to love.